Thank you, Lord. Um, I want to share this morning, but before I do that, I want to ask, kind of get us all on the same page here. Um, well, you know that we believe that this word is full of living power, right? Turn with me to Acts chapter 238. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And verse 38 says this, Peter replied, each of you must repent from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this grandma, she's, uh, she's been going to church and they've been studying Acts 2.38. Well, she gets back from church Sunday night and uh, she opens up the door and there's a robber in the house. So... He, she, he's going, he's, he starts threatening her, and all of a sudden she just jumps up and says, Acts 2.38. The guy hits the ground, and he's on his face, and he's shaking. She dials 911. The cops come. They cuff him, and as they're dragging him out, says, uh, Sir, this is an old grandma. What? Are you kidding me? She said she had an axe and 238s. <laughs> right? That's the word. I'm just, it's right there. All right. We know that the word is full of living power, right? Hebrews 4.12. It's able to cut right between soul and spirit. So if you get in a tough place, you might try that. You might, you might try it. I'm telling you. All right. <laughs> All right, Miss Addie. You heard it here first. All right. I know Miss Addie shakes her head sometimes. All right. <laughs> All right, now on a serious note, ready? Here's a question I want to set up the sermon this morning. What honestly or what truly separates a Christian from worldly people? What separates the unbelievers from the believers? What is it? Somebody help me. Christ, the way we live our lives? All right, you're all right. But honestly, the, the, the top of that list is the Holy Spirit. What separates the believers from an unbeliever is the presence of the Holy Spirit. A couple of scriptures, right? And of course, you, you all labeled fruit, you know, peace and the way we live our life. Those are the, the overflow of a person who is indwelt by the presence of God. You can't be the same, right? John goes on and says, you can't go on sinning. You may try for a season, but you're not good at it anymore, and you're really tormented by it, right? Sometimes you used to practice, it was all right, but once you're born again, forget it. It's like, this is just not fun anymore. You come under guilt and conviction. Well, so what separates? 1 John 2.20, the apostle writes this, the Holy Spirit abiding in them, the Holy One has given you His Spirit. King James says it this way. You have the unction from the Holy One. You know the truth from the lie. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, because what's, what's another name for the Holy Spirit? Spirit of truth, right? He said that I'm going to go to the Father. John 15, he says, Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to go to the Father, but it's good that I go away because when I go away, the Father's going to send the Spirit of truth. And he is going to lead you and guide you in all truth. So when you get the Holy Spirit on the inside, that's why John could go on and he said, um, 
You've received the Holy Spirit in your lives. In 1 John 2.27, you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives in you. And so you'll know when you start watching something or somebody speaks, it's like, man, I'm not, that, the unction on the, I'm not getting a witness here, right? That's the Holy Spirit on the inside. Paul said it this way in Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit are God's children, when you're led by the Spirit, we know that the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, he came out of the river, says, now Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, and he was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Well, that's a wild kind of scripture. We've dealt with that before, but it's true. And it goes on, he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God lives in you. I want you to sail on that for a minute. As a group together, when all the living stones, Peter says, when the living stones who are part of the wall of God come together, that's why we're told to assemble ourselves together. Hebrews 10 says this. He goes, don't forsake the assembly Many are not in church today. They're wandering all over the place, and they get picked off. Something happens when we come together in corporate worship, corporately together. It says the living stones, Ginny stones, Mike stones, Trey, all those stones with all the pieces, all the pieces. I love this. My, I don't know if you, you called it out too much. All the look at the diversity. There's different colors. There's the there's when all the pieces, when all the joints are fully supplying. You might say, well, I don't have anything to offer. Oh, you certainly do. And so it's a lie not to be assembled together. Don't you realize that you carry the Holy One of Israel? And when you come together, we all knit it together. This powerful moves. Okay, well, Pastor, where are we going with this? I want you to see that, first of all, you are marked. We've shared this before, you know, you'll walk into a place where the demon, Jesus walked in the temple and the demons screamed out, why have you come here, Son of God, to torment us before times? Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't have the Holy Ghost at that time. We'll give them a little bit of grace, right? But they didn't know he was the Messiah, but the devil did. We've walked in places, and the devil will start growling. They'll run. They'll be like, I know who you are. And like, whoa, I'm just here, right? I'm just here, right? You can't help it. You're marked. Look at this. He says this in uh, Revelation 7, 3. Don't harm the servants. This is, they're about ready to go ahead and collect. This is the 144,000. You won't turn there, but Revelation 7 says, do not harm the servants who have the seal of God on their foreheads. Ezekiel said it this way. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel 9, 5, he says, we're going to go out. The enemy is going to be destroyed. Do not destroy anyone whose forehead is marked. I don't know how this works in the spirit, but he says at one point he's going to collect the whole family and he's going to tell the angels, go to the four corners and gather my folk. Well, how's he going to know this one comes, that one doesn't, this one, because you're all marked. I'm telling you, when you carry the Holy Spirit, you are marked. Now, how do you know it? Paul says, and John said, there's a witness. You know that you know that you know. When, these are some ways, I don't know how you get it. Some people get, you know, the hair stands up on their end. Some of the hair stands up on the back of their head as others start shaking. I know some start doing the chicken move. And anyway, 
I'm, I'm not making fun of the Holy Spirit, but I'm just telling you there are different manifestations. Pay attention. He says in Hebrews 5, he says, the mature believers have trained their senses to know good and evil. So pay attention to the sensory receptions of your life and say, I just walk, like you may be in worship like this morning when they started singing that doxology and then they sang the one that Sarah said, it's like, whoa, what happened? My spirit man just entered into the presence of the Holy Ghost. Anybody witness with that? There are times when it's like, whoa, the worship was like, did, did you feel that? Do you feel that? That's amazing. You can be sitting next to somebody and they're thinking about the roast for after church for dinner and the other one's like, I'm like, what? I don't know. I study these things because, Lord, I want to I walk in the presence. I want to know. So that's a long introduction to what I want to have us look at. But let's turn now to Exodus chapter 33. His presence. His presence is what we're after. His presence changes everything. His presence sets the addicted free. His, pres his presence will bring either torment or freedom to the demonized, right? What did he say in Matthew 12? He says, when he was being accused, Jesus had cast a demon out, and they were accusing him of being the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And he says, he corrects them. He says, you can't have a house divided. But in fact, he says, when a demon leaves, it's because the kingdom has come. When his presence comes, he brings peace. Now, he may cause some... He, the presence also walked into church and flipped the money tables, right? Because what were they doing? They were bilking everybody. They were defiling the temple. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer. So sometimes the presence will mess things up for a little bit, right? It gets a little dicey. His presence marks us and separates. This was so important, Moses understood this. Are you there in Exodus? Let's, uh, let's begin in verse 12. Exodus 33, 12. I'll read New Living, but I'm going to bounce over to King James as well. One day Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land. I want to stop. We won't go back for essence of time, but in chapter 31 and 32, it's a bad, bad situation. Moses is up on the mount in the presence getting the Ten Commandments. And he leaves his brother, Aaron, the high priest, in charge. And the people say, well, Moses is gone, so we want to worship something. And, and it's an interesting reaction. Aaron, he lies, actually. <laughs> it's not good for a high priest to lie. Look at 32, 23. When Moses comes down and he finds them worshiping the golden calf, he goes to the high priest and calls out his brother, Aaron. He says, why did you make God's? They wanted me to make these gods to lead them. We don't really know what happened to the fellow Moses that brought us here up from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has jewelry, take it out. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire and out popped the golden calf. <laughs> Come on, Aaron, I don't think so. Uh, you're lying, buddy. All right, what? it's that whole thing, right? When in the garden, that woman you gave me, it's her fault, right? And the, 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 yeah, it's that whole blame thing. Well, what's happening here is in the reflection, God wanted to actually completely destroy these people. He said, I'm done with them. I brought them out. 
they have decided they want to worship. They, they, they can't even be without their leader for a little while, and they want to worship golden calves. And the Lord, is his mind is changed. This is an interesting scripture. How powerful is intercession? How powerful is you who carries the Holy Ghost, who stands in a gap for a nation? If my people call by my name. How powerful is it for someone who's sick? You know, Mike and I, we were uh, sharing this week, Mike Hogan and I, when um, Mike had come back from a mission trip and there was a parasite. In fact, were you only one of 24 that survived? One, can, I hope I can tell this story. Uh, it, well, I am. <laughs> we're here, right? I'm like, yeah, it's like Randy Clark. You better be ready anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Mike went to India, and anyway, the, we believe it was generated. Kamitska, the doctor who was in charge of infectious disease, believed it was transmitted from a mosquito bite. And he picked up a parasite that attacked his lungs. Of the 24 people that they studied, because he brought doctors from Duke, and they studied all this, 23 of the 24 died. He's the only survivor. Now, look, I'm giving God all the credit, and I give his wife credit. That morning, this is my recollection, you correct me, that morning that they had called, Mike was in intensive care in ICU, they had called in his son off a ship, they had brought in his family, and Tracy called me at around 6.30 that Sunday morning and said, I'm not believing this, she's crying, because, but the doctors have said, Mike won't make it another 24 hours. And I'm, I hung up the phone. And, I say, and she said, look, we're bringing the whole family to church, and then we're all going over to the hospital to say they're going to say goodbye. Amen. Amen. So Tracy got the word, and she wouldn't listen to Mike. He's saying, you know, we got the... the Insurance policy, you know, she, no, I'm not receiving that. I hung up that phone. I just remember what I, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, Mike went to India with us. This is not right. This is not right. Look, I don't care what might be open or read. I don't know all that. All I know is I'm going to ask you right now to spare his life, God. Tracy's bringing the whole family, and I instantly got three points. Boom, boom, boom on my face. He said, bring the whole family up and get the whole church to pray for them. So they lined up. Remember, they filled that back row, and uh, Lori Carr was leading worship, and we prayed over them, and then the Lord told me, set up a 24-hour vigil at the hospital, 24 hours round the clock. And then he said, there's two pastors. One's on vacation in Myrtle Beach, and another one. Anyway, they had some ought with Mike. I said, you're going to order those pastors to come in and lay hands on him in ICU. So I did. I said, you're not going to ask me why, but you're going to do it. Now get in there and do the yes. And he came off vacation. Went, and it was good. It was all 24 hours later. I remember, I think Tracy went and said, the doctor had said, if we give him this particular steroid and it's wrong, he'll be dead in 24 hours. But the biopsy is not going to be done for four days, so he'll probably be dead anyway. And I think Tracy asked me, said, if he were your son, what would you do, Dr. Kamitska? I think he said, I'd give him the steroid. And he did. 24 hours later, Mike Hogan was standing outside my, de my office. 24 hours later. Kamitska watched the vigil. 
He watched all the stuff going on. It was a miracle. He's the 23 of the others died. And look, I don't know all about that. All I know is this couple is a different couple today from that experience. The power of intercession, the power of standing in the gap, the power of the presence, and asking God, what do you want me to do, God? Moses changed God's mind. Now you say, well, that's kind of crazy. No, no, no. He's a God of relationship. Your voice and your heart matters. Look at what he does here. He says, I'm going to just destroy these characters, right? <laughs> In uh, chapter 33, he goes, he says, Let's start in verse 4. When the people heard these stern words, well, we better back up. He told them to go up to the land. He said, you're a stubborn and rebellious people. That sounds like us, right? If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. So what he's saying is the Lord's saying, I can't go with these people. They frustrate me so much. I would just kill them along the way. I'm not going to travel with you. They're so stubborn. Verse 4, when the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry. <laughs> no more throwing our jewelry in there and popping out cows, right, for that. For the Lord told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. And if I were to travel with you for even one moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry, your fine clothes, while I decide what to do with you. Woo-hoo, they're in the court. For some time they left Mount Sinai, and the Israelites wore no more jewelry and fine clothes. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting, and they set it up in some distance from the camp, and everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Moses would go in, and the Lord would face him face to face. Verse 9, as he went in, the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down. However, its entrance... While they were there, the Lord would speak with Moses, and the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance. And the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. What a relationship. Notice, there's another guy named Joshua. He loves the presence so much. Look at that verse in 11. Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting when Moses would leave. You wonder why he was a capable general to fight 31 campaigns in the promised land? Because he knew the presence. He honored the presence. In fact, he was with, he wasn't there when they made the golden calves. If you read that account, he was with Moses up on the mount. That's interesting. He's the leader. All right, well, go on. It says, the Lord replies. Let's look at verse. Yeah, let's pick up in 13. If it is true that you look favorably on me, Moses said, let me know your ways. Wow. Some people want his money. <laughs> bless me, bless me, bless me. But I learned from Saul's account, give me wisdom, Lord, not, not finances. Moses says here, I just want to know your ways. Because if I understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember that this nation is your very own people, the Lord replied, I'll go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. You notice the nation's not listed there. Moses brings, the Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know 
that you look favorably on me and your people if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people of the earth. His presence with us separates us from all the other peoples of the earth. And so he's making intercession. Lord, I'll bless you, Moses, but these guys, no, no, Lord. Then he promises, I'll show you my goodness and I'll go with you. And we know that the pillar and the cloud for 40 years, right, in his presence. All right, now turn to your handout. That was a long introduction, but it'll fit right in. I wanted to call our attention. I think if we get an appreciation, a deep, deep appreciation of his presence and why we pursue his presence, it'll change you. It'll change me. It'll change the way we worship. It'll change the, what we do. His presence. What, I mean, think about it. Why do we do lights and stage and sound and music and dance? God, what, what are we doing? What are you after, Pastor? It's atmosphere. There are, there are acts of praise. There are activities that kind of, it's like if my wife wants me to come home after a rough time and mission, and she has this beautiful meal all prepared. She's got music on in the background. She's got the table set. It's like, man, I'm, I'm feeling appreciated. She's got the steak grilling. Like, I'm, sm- I'm smelling that aroma. And I am drawn to that. I can't tell you how many times the word aroma in the Greek is used. I've listed just a few. But let's turn, if you will, turn with me to um, Genesis 8. Let's turn to the left, that Exodus, and go to Genesis 8. Right after the flood, it's interesting that there were certain animals on the ark that were set aside for the sacrifice. After the flood recedes, God remembers Noah and all the wild animals. That's good. Five months from when the flood began, it comes to rest. And look at verse 20. Noah built an altar. Isn't that something about the heart of presence? And he sacrificed burnt offerings, the animals and the birds that had been approved for this purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice that he himself said, I will never again curse the ground because the human race, even though everybody they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I've listed here in the top part of that paragraph, Exodus 29, Leviticus, Corinthians, over and over again, there's something about the sacrifice of the aroma that draws the presence of God. Now we could, I'm not being critical for years, we could come in and we could sing three hymns and we could sit down, get the word and have you out of here in an hour. We could do that. Um, And I'm not trying to be critical. But there's something about the honor of the presence that we need time as people, I don't know, we need time to get our hearts and minds aligned It's really great if you start in the morning. You wake up Sunday morning, good morning, Holy Spirit, good morning, Father, good morning, Lord of God, Lord God, I thank you. And you prepare my heart and you come in here and you're already, you're already on fire. 
you're already tuned up. The Lord's, you're already carrying an aroma. And when those aromas come together, what does God do? He looks down, he says, he inclines his ear, it says, he's just looking in the earth for someone he can show himself strong in. Wouldn't it be awesome, I've, I've said this many times, I would love the Lord to have a testimony in heaven about Global River. Turn to an angel and say, go to Global River, those guys will do what we ask. Now I know there's different assignments, that may sound arrogant, but I don't want to ever miss I don't ever want to miss the assignments he gave us. I want you to go to L.A. I want you to go here. I want you to plant this church. I want you to go. I want you to go to Dunn. I want you to go to Lumberton. I want you to start a food pantry. I want you. I want. You. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But, but Lord. But, 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 no, but, Lord. Yes. Why? Because that aroma pleases the Lord. I was excited on election day when our team went to stand at the Planned Parenthood facility to intercede for life. I was so, I, was, I said, God, yeah, standing for life. There's an aroma that arises. There's a song we sing sometimes. It says, we'll provide the sacrifice, you provide the, how's it go? We provide the sacrifice, you provide the fire. Right, that's how it goes. So how is it when we fast and we pray and we seek, and we worship. You might be one of those. Um, I, I, I've been here one. You walk, that's not really my style of worship. Why do they have to go so long, and why is it so loud? And, but what if he likes it? Is it for you or for him? Can you enter in? I'm just messing with you. I'm messing with myself, but, but you know, there's... But I'm just saying, look, there's a sacrifice of praise. He, we offer the sacrifice of praise. Well, I don't really like it. It's kind of loud. Why don't you offer a little sacrifice? There's some earplugs back there. Get in and worship or soak or do something. But your presence, your stone, your aroma in the presence of God may be a sacrifice to your flesh and mine. You want me to come back to church at 6 o'clock on Sunday night for voyage when I've been there all day? I'm, I'm just messing. I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate or control. But what I'm saying is there is a sacrifice that draws an aroma. And that aroma, when a corporate body of believers comes, look at what happens in the presence. Let's, let's read on. Let's, let's turn now to Acts 2. This is not Acts 2.38. This is Acts 2.42, which drew me to that 38. But let's, let's go there. Acts 2. And verse 42. Now, if you know the book of Acts, right, Pentecost had come. Jesus told the disciples after he was resurrected and during the ascension, stay here until the Father sends what he promised. Remember we studied the whole book of Acts last year? It's like in Acts 2, he says, uh, Acts 1, he says, stay here until the Father sends the promise. And when he comes, you're going to become my witnesses, full of power. And so they're hanging out in the upper room. Now, they started out with probably over 400, something like that, right, Pastor Mike? How many were in the upper room? But only 120 could hang out in the prayer meeting for 10 days. Now, having a prayer meeting for 10 days without the Holy Spirit, I might be not there. I don't, I don't know. But something about stay until the Father sends the presence. So they gathered in the upper room. They had a large number, but only 120 were there when the Spirit fell. 
But that was enough. And the Spirit falls, and you know what happens. They think they're drunk. They're, they're accused of the Holy Spirit being something that he's not. And he tells them, stop, you mockers. And, right? But I want to pick up here. After they're filled with the Holy Ghost, now they are fully marked. Look at verse 42. All the believers, who are they? They're believers. They're now marked. And they devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals and to prayer. Something happens when the presence falls on you. You'll submit to apostolic teaching. (laughs) King James says the apostolic doctrine Fellowship, King James says, fellowship, doctrine, breaking of bread, and prayer. Natural consequence. Now look what happens. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions. They shared their money. With those in need, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let me look at the King James. You see the operative. The Holy Spirit falls. They're now marked. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They are steadfastly in the teaching doctrines and fellowship. They like to be with other believers. They like to eat bread together. They like to share meals. They like to hang out. And they like to pray. There's an indication the Holy Ghost is doing something. And what happens? Fear. Godly fear comes on the soul. And as a result of that unity, what does he say in Psalm 133? God commands a blessing when brethren dwell together in unity. Disunity, that's why in a church you can't have it. It's got to go. I get criticized. Look, if you're not in the vision, you need to go find your place where the vision, because division does not work. In fact, it's biblical in here. If somebody gives division in the church, give them one morning, give them a second. He says it in Titus. He says it in Jude. So look. That's not to be critical. Find your house. If you're an arm, be an arm. If you're a leg, be a leg. In the body of Christ, be who you are in the body of Christ. But don't sit on the sidelines. We need your aroma. And something happens in the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the baptism, in that unity, fear, godly fear. But look at the outcome. And the believers met, but what happened? The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. He says this in chapter 3. Just turn over. In chapter 3, the first thing that happens is a crippled beggar. He was there. He went at the gate beautiful. He'd been carried there since birth. And each day he was put at the temple gate to beg. Peter and John walk by. You know this story, right? Begging. Now, how many times did Jesus go to the temple? He walked by him. I'm sure of it. It wasn't his time. But now, this is Peter and, James, Peter and John's time. Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, 
come unto me. And he lifts him up, he stand up, and he's healed. That causes a mess. In fact, they all get threatened. Peter gives a message. But what do you see? The outpouring and the unity results in a 40-year, I think he's 40 years, long time. <laughs> it's, it's in there. He's healed. Well, look at what happens. Go to chapter 14. In chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium. And I love this statement. It's over and over again. It's in several places in the scriptures. It's in Mark 16 at the very last chapter. It says he works with them, does signs and wonders. But look at this in verse 3. The apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved that their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. See, signs and wonders, if you've ever been on a mission field and all, or here, when a miracle happens, you got a choice. Can you try to explain it away? Or was it God? And if it's God, don't you have a decision to make? So I want us to see that his presence, let's go back to the outline. His presence, our community, and his kingdom expands. Isn't that what you saw? His presence came in Acts 2. They were joined together in fellowship, in unity, in prayer, in sharing meals together, in doctrinal teaching, coming together in the temples daily, worshiping God together breaking bread together around the Lord's Supper. And what happened? The community of believers, they were so moved. You have a need? I'll sell this. I'll do this. What do you need? I'll help you with this. I'll give that. It's what Lisa was saying. How much of your overflow? When Kid Austin did a teaching once on, on the overflow, it's how you manage your life. What's your overflow? What are you doing? That overflow is part of the community. They formed community. And when the community is formed in that type of relationship, the unsaved are drawn to it. It's exactly what's going on right now in the overflow since the earthquake in Nepal. I talked to Pastor Prem last night. He calls us three times a week, and he was so excited. He loves to hear, got to hear Mama's voice. So Ginny gets on the phone, and, well, what is he doing? What's happened is the Hindus cannot understand why these Christian men, pastors, are carrying food and goods up into the mountains where they've been ravished by the landslides and the earthquake, still not recovered. And they give them food and rice and raincoats. And they, why, why, are you, why do you do this? Jesus sent us. And our family members, our papas and mamas in the United States have given of their resources so that you might be at peace. We want to know this, Jesus. The Hindu gods are not helping us right now, but this Jesus God is. We'd like to know this Jesus God. He baptized eight in a really cold river yesterday. He goes, it's getting really cold, Papa, pray for us. What's the overflow when the community is in his presence? But it's got to start with his presence. So I'm challenging us. I'm challenging me and you. Cultivate your private time of presence with the Lord. Get up early or stay up late. Read your word, even if it's discipline. Like Pastor Mike was saying, there's times when I'd read this and say, Lord, I feel like there's an iron heaven right here. I'm like, and then there's times like, whoa, 
Stay persevering. Those who persevere to the end in trial. Turn with me to James 1. This is is a rabbit trail, but I like it. For um, pastor appreciation, a number of people got together and they blessed me with this amazing gift. It's a plaque. It hangs on my, my wall right now. And it's out of James 1. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. King James says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them who love him. Man, I read that this morning. I've been reading it. I walk by it every so on my way to the bench there. It's hanging right there. My wife's got it right at eye level. And, and i like, yes, Lord. May we be the ones who persevere in trial, that the crown of life that awaits us, crown of life that awaits us, Last night, we were driving home. Ginny and I were listening to the kids in the back, and we were driving back from Virginia after the funeral, and we heard about three Joel Olstein. We got a Joel Olstein uh, channel, right? And it was like, oh, and my wife said, boy, he pinpoints his. One of it was the frame. He says, if you're a believer and you're interceding for your family or for loved ones or your church, or you frame this in God, they can't get outside the frame. Lots of stuff may happen. May not be what you choose, but they can't get away. They're hedged. They're in the hedge, right? Miss Addie always says, it's, Pastor, he's, he's got it. He's got it. But Miss Addie, no, Pastor, he's got it. Yes, ma'am, he's got it. All right, back to The presence of God, top of the page. The presence of God distinguishes his people from all other people. Moses knew this and refused to go without God's presence. There is a difference between acts of praise and worship. God's presence is attracted to the aroma of sacrifice and worship by his people. The outpouring of his promised presence in Acts 2 was immediately followed by the genuine formation of community. The Holy Spirit baptism resulted in all believers devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, sharing of meals, and prayer. Miracles and signs and wonders meeting together and sharing all that produced this great joy, generosity, and the salvation of many. The kingdom of God expands as His presence and the community of believers gather around Him and His vision and identity for that community. You know, you've heard it spoke here that, Lord, we want to pastor a city. We want to pastor a region. And somebody come to me and says, well, that's arrogant. You just want to be the pastor in charge. I said, oh, man, you missed it. I, there's, there's no way. <laughs> I just want to see our hands and feet. When somebody comes, when a Joel 2 missions comes, says, I want to set up houses for abused women. When Save Our Kids ministry comes, says, we want to go to the jailhouses. We want to go into the jail 
where Pastor William Mon, we want to go to this location. We want to hook up with other pastors that are going downtown. We want to do march. That sounds like it fits under the banner of a city that needs God to come. So I don't have to pray very long. Lord, the vision you gave us is we're going to pastor a city, a state, a region, and we want to touch nations. So when it comes, yeah, that's in there. How's it going to happen? I have no idea. I, it's beyond me already. And if you're, Pat had a word this week. She heard this is, your vision is too small. I'm like, Lord have mercy. But, but God, no buts. He's big. All right, let's go on. The kingdom of God and his presence, when believers around gather around that vision, identity, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it. Number one, his presence we seek. Personally, corporately, privately, publicly. Praise activities are only steps that we go to attract his presence. We provide the aroma of a sacrifice and worship with true hearts in our music, our dance, our lighting, our art, our prayer, our fasting, the word, soaking, seeking. He can't stay away from that. Jesus said, the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Heart worship, not head worship. Heart worship, not head worship. Community of believers, a true belonging, devotion, and then the kingdom expands. Let me close with this. Turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 21. John 4, 21. It's an interesting exchange, probably familiar with the story. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Let's pick up here. I'll just paraphrase a couple of things. You know the story, right? First of all, it was they, the Jews avoided going through Samaria. They were half-breeds. They were half-Gentile and half-Jewish. They had this real racial thing going on between the, the real Jews and the half-breed Jews. And it was illegal for Jesus to talk to even a Gentile woman by himself, right? That was the law. Well, he, he violates all that. They go through Samaria because he had an assignment. I think the assignment was her. And so what happens, he, he's, he says he's tired, the disciples go, he, he stays there at the well, and at noontime, this woman, many think she probably was embarrassed to come during the regular time when the rest of the ladies came, because she was probably the talk of the local village, because she's been married five times, and now she's living and sleeping, shacking up with somebody, right? Well, Jesus doesn't throw that in her face, but he does call it out. He says, let's look at this. He says, verse 4, chapter 4, 4. He says, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. You think he's being led by the Spirit? Absolutely. Eventually comes to the Samaritan village of Shikar in the field of Jacob given to his son Jacob. Jacob. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat down beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because the disciples had gone to buy food. The woman was surprised that Jews who refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God has for you, 
and you're speaking to, you would ask me to give you a drink of living water. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. And this well, it's deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And besides, you think you're greater than our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than his sons and animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them. You see the spirit within? Within you, giving eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty. She didn't want to walk there every day. I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come to this well to get water. Go get your husband. Is this a test? It sure is. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman said. You're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five. And you are not even married to the man that you're now living with. You certainly have spoken the truth. She didn't get offended. You notice that? Uncovered her mess. Now, he didn't do it in a judgmental way. She had a choice. She could have hid it, lied. I don't know what the outcome was. She, she didn't hide it. He didn't condemn her. You must be a prophet. Now, here's the operative. So tell me, what an interesting, I don't, know, she, I don't think she's changing the subject, but she's got this on her mind. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming, and it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship Him this way. For God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I hope this clarifies. Why do we do what we do, or at least attempt to do in our acts of praise? You may not particularly like one aspect of it or another. All I'm saying is press in. Offer a sacrifice if it doesn't do much for you. Offer it up to the Lord and gather your heart because he's after heart worship. What would happen next week, just suppose, that we all came together. We had prepared Sunday morning before we ever got here. With our spirit man just like, I can't wait to get together with the brothers and sisters when that first string of the guitar take, we're just going to be in it. Doesn't take too song. Okay, well, I forgot about the argument I had yesterday and the bill that's got to do and this, that, and the other. And my boss, I got this job thing I got to. No, no, it's over here. That does not matter. It doesn't matter. What matters now is the worship in spirit and in truth. The God will smell that aroma and he will come in sovereignly. 
God will, I've been in meetings, I'm telling you, I've told you this meeting I had, there's been many, but the one in Brazil where God sovereignly came in and the, the deaf mutes, at least 10 of them, started speaking as where the Lord just opened up blind eyes sovereignly. But I could tell you, the woman who danced in front of me, the whole dance team, and there were like 20-something of them dancing on this rough-hewn altar to amazing grace and a tribute to the United States wrapped in the American flag during 9-11. And she cried a puddle. I'm not exaggerating. I asked the Lord, I said, God, I'm so frustrated. Why is it that worship and everything and all the miracles happen in Brazil in this revival, but back in our own home city and town, it's not happening? God, I gotta know why. And I looked at this woman bowed down and wrapped in the American flag and I'm thinking of all the issues back at 9-11, the death and everything. My family gonna be okay and she wrapped and she cried and there was a puddle of tears. I'm not exaggerating. And the Holy Spirit said, Tom, if you wanna know why I come here, that's why. And I said, oh God, how do we cultivate that? It's, it, it's not a made up deal. It, it's gotta be your presence. Ask the Lord to bring the presence. It'll do something in our community. We can try to force community. We got brothers that don't even want to be with each other. <laughs> it's like, good Lord, have mercy. Hey, there's some, I'm not going out to dinner with some. I'm telling you right now. There, what, did, what did we see in Keep Your Love On? Some of them are out there with Al-Qaeda right now. But when it's ready, well, God will do it, Right? And, and I'm not disclosing, you know, we don't do Matthew 18 and Matthew 5. I'm okay. But there's a season and a time to this. There was a season, Mike and I were at odds with each other. And I'm picking on you today, but it's a good, it's a good story. And Mike had been in, been in missions, and, and he, was, he was out there, and Tracy was interceding for him. And I said, Lord, i got to go see Mike. In fact, Phil Walls, who's in heaven now, my best friend at that, he said, you need to go see Mike. I said, the Lord won't let me. I've been on my face. I know Matthew 5. Leave your gift at the altar and go to him and be reconciled. Matthew 18, if your brother's got an offense with you, go to him privately. Deal with your issue. God, what about Matthew 5? What about Matthew 18? Not now. But, but not now. Three, almost three years. And then one day, Mike Hogan walked into my office, got on his knees, and cried his eyes out. And I cried my eyes out. And I laid hands on him. And he was delivered of pain and within short distance all the operation surgery on his knees they put a new kneecap on and now he look at what he does he sets up tents everywhere come on the word is the word but there is a timing and a strategy to the word and you get any of those out of order and you will mess it up go ask Abraham when he slept with Hagar you get fleshly results called bad stuff. All right. All right, let's stand. We're at, we're, I'm, I'm over. All right, Lord, would you agree with me that we're after his presence? You know, if it says corporately, if, if you will agree is touching, why don't you grab a hand across the aisle? Lord, we may not know a whole lot, but we know enough. <laughs> and your word helps us with the rest. <laughs> I know in my spirit, man, that if your people would seek a heart-to-heart -heart presence in their private time, 
and in their corporate worship and then come together, you will blow the lid off this place. And uh, those that are lost out there, they won't be able to stay away because these folks who are marked by the Spirit and carry the overflow will walk into stores and groceries and family locations and people will say, what is that? So Lord, I'm just, I'm just asking you, Lord, would you send your presence? Would you twist our hearts in such a way that we get our minds out of the way and all of our fear and angst and you would come and release your presence, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. God, I know that things happen sometimes, but we're moving in that direction, Lord. We're making choices. You're the audience of one. People may not understand. You're the only audience that we want to answer to. Fear of man and fear of this and performance that. These children who come up on the stage like last week, you know, we'll sacrifice their performance because they bring purity of worship in the presence. Lord, let us platform the presence. We want excellence, but we want you. And Lord, I want this aroma over Global River to expand. I, I want you to get everything you paid for, that the kingdom would advance and you would receive glory. No man glory, no, no, none of us need to glory. You can hide us. We, don't, we just want to platform what you want to platform. And we want you to connect us with the believers all around this globe, from the East Coast to the West Coast to the nations that are after your presence, God, because your presence will bring community, will connect us with Israel, another body-believing part of God, our brothers and sisters, and we'll be blessed beyond any measure that we could ever believe. So I thank you, Lord. I'm excited about what you're doing in the nation and what you're going to do here in this city and throughout the, the United States. We give you praise, Holy Spirit. Bless us now. Mark your people in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise God.